welcome back to another episode of It's All About Perspective. I was blessed a few years ago to meet the, the guest today, and he has been nothing but kind to me and very supportive, of which I greatly appreciate and tell him all the time how much I appreciate him. Uh, he is the author of uh, over 15 books, or soon to be over, constantly writing. He's, uh, he's number 29 guru in education, although I know he's shooting for number one. And uh, he's just a fabulous motivational speaker and someone that I am very thankful to have met. Dr. Brad Johnson, how are you today? I'm doing fantastic. How are you doing today? I'm hanging in there like we were talking before. It's It was a busy day today. There's, <laughs> a, there's always something going on in schools. Yeah, especially this time of year, the sprint from Thanksgiving to Christmas is pretty intense. <laughs> it is, you know, and then right now in, in, uh, in Clark County, we're doing what's called map testing, uh, where we basically see if the kids are growing, um, which I know, I know you might have some feelings on, on, uh, assessments <laughs> per se, but, uh, it's what we use here. So, you know, we're trying to make sure kids are growing. So you got the added pressure of trying to knock those out and then just the, the day-to-day life. It's a busy time. Well, yeah, I mean, we, I think we know how I feel about those, but especially like this time of year when probably that's the last thing on students' minds and probably the teachers' minds too, really. Um, You know, I know it's, I guess they call it a necessary evil. I don't know how necessary, but you got to do what you got to (laughs) do. Right, right. You know, and it's kind of just the, the one way that we can make sure that kids are learning commiserate to their peers. Um, I don't know that there's really a, a great way to do it. I certainly am not a fan of SBACs per se either, but um, I guess this is the system that we have. So you uh, you have written many, many books and I, you know, we've talked a few times. Where do you get your ideas from? For me, things just hit me. They just, I'm just walking along and then boom, I have an idea. But you've read, written over 15 books and I know that you uh, you have two more waiting in the wings. Where do your ideas come from? Uh, I wish I could say inspiration. <laughs> Sometimes I think that's true. Honestly, I just reflect back on my experiences as a teacher and as an administrator and think, you know, what do I wish I had been told or wish I was able to read or learn? And I think that kind of guides some of it. Um, because I guess a lot of people tend to write like in a certain, even like within education, they just have certain themes or areas and mine are kind of all over the place, but it, it really is because, you know, you think about when I talk about teachers, you know, it's, it's such a, you know, I always laugh in the little heart thing I make just a teacher, but it shows all the roles that they play, all the roles that they have. And so to me, there's a lot of different angles that you can pursue in helping um, teachers and administrators too, really to be, you know, more effective or just sometimes, you know, with some of the books, just to kind of inspire them uh, and motivate them to keep going. So, but it really is, you know, I just think back, you know, as a teacher, you know, what, what was some areas that I might've need help or when I saw teachers that struggle, what was it and what, you know, could benefit them? I guess. So hopefully, hopefully it fills needs, I guess, is, I guess, the best way to put it. Yeah. I, I mean, I would say based upon your success that you've done a good job of that. <laughs> yes. 
I, but I'm curious. So my my book that I wrote, it's all about perspective. I was sitting at uh, Wet and Wild with my wife complaining, and I'm like, I'm just going to write a book and see if I can make some change. Where did you like? Where was your first book, and how did it all come about? What did what made you think I'm going to write a book? Um, I get, when I went through my doctoral program and like working on my dissertation, I was. Uh, because I always joke if if there was uh, a, like in high school when they have those superlatives, if there was one that would have been for someone that you would guarantee would never write a book, it would have been me. Um, so they're probably like going to college and getting, especially my PhD probably would have been one too. But when I got to that level um, and and was able to work through that, um, I realized that, man, it's just, it's just about perseverance, you know? And so I share all the time and, and, you know, we talked about, I feel like everybody has a book in them. And so when I was doing that and, and writing it, I was like, you know, if I can write a dissertation, then surely I can write a book. And obviously it needs to not be as boring as a dissertation, <laughs> but, uh, and then I had a good friend that I taught with. Her name was Tammy McElroy. And I share stories about her a lot because she was um, kind of a mentor to me um, as a teacher. She was just, man, she was she was the best teacher I've ever seen in 30 years of education. Just powerful and amazing. And just, I knew that, so the first book we wrote together was, was called The Edutainer. Because she was, she was like an entertainer in the classroom, but man, she was assertive. She had rules. She, you know, you just didn't mess around with her, but she made it fun. And so she was like a mix of all the best. If you could think of all the, the best attributes of teachers and mix them together, it was her. And so I was like, man, you know, I, if that's who I need to write a book with. And so that, that's kind of how that began was, man, if I can write a dissertation, then surely I can at least write something hopefully, you know, a little bit more enjoyable than, than that research. Um, and then, and then of course with her, we, you know, combined for that. And uh, I really, at the time, and you might've felt this way too, after with the first book, I was like, you know, I think it's kind of a bucket list thing, you know, like, man, I, you know, I, I want to write a book. And so I write it and that's it. But because part of it was, I was like, you know, when I write this book, I'm like, you know, that's really the only idea I have. I, you know, can't really, I, I never would have dreamt writing two or three or especially, you know, 15 or 17. Um, I really thought that would be the one, but, you know, kind of like I was just sharing after I finished it, I'm like, you know, just thinking about, you know, different things that come up in teaching and areas of need or whatever. And I was like, you know, maybe I can, and I do, I, I like to, I love reading. I love books. I got that from my mother and my father, um, you know, just a love for reading. So I've always, you know, that, that, that's why my dissertation was pretty easy because I just love reading anyway and research, et cetera. So, but um, I was just like, you know, after the first one, I was like, well, maybe I can do a second one. And even now I'm like, I just, man, I don't think I can think of another one. And then, you know, I like <laughs> Yeah, it's it's funny how like that just you know now I mean thanks to you largely, um, 
you know, now I just think of an idea and I'm like, Oh, I can, I can make this one work. And, and you keep going, but you know, like, again, I'm, I'm fairly new to the game and starting out. And I was lucky enough again to, to have you come to Thompson and, and help me out. But how, you know, when you first got started, how many publishers did you have to go through or, you know, how, how was that process? Cause I know, like I said, I, I got lucky, but a lot of people don't. So, you know, they have to persevere for sure. But um, how was your journey with that? Yeah, it was, it, it wasn't easy. Um, but I have, um, you know, one of the things when, when I share with teachers about, um, you know, and it's funny cause like, especially this last year, being listed as one of the top gurus, which, you know, I never would have dreamt of something like that and still, you know, kind of <laughs> uh, don't believe. But like you said, like my competitiveness, I, I want to be number one at some point. But, um, you know, it was. Uh, uh, what, what was your question again? <laughs> starting out, starting out, you know. You cut this out. <laughs> <laughs> starting out you know it's so it's so hard to get started and you know to find oh, yeah. a public okay. that'll take you on all right so take two here angie <laughs> <laughs> she um, may or may not accidents happen it kind of makes it more authentic i think to <laughs> <laughs> well i get the talking and my mind closes down i forget what i was talking about um yeah the probably it was tough um you know, the first, oh, I, I was going back to the, it was the whole mindset thing. You know, it's easy to like get down or, you know, maybe to even give up. And, and so I share that with teachers all the time. If there's something you want to do, you know, yeah, you may fail once, you may fail twice. My thing was I, I, I had a preset, I, you know, I wasn't going into it blindly like, oh, you know, this is so good. I'm going to get a contract right away or whatever. I figured just from reading and, you know, hearing other people's journeys and stuff that, you know, I was in for, you know, failure and letdown and uh, wasn't disappointed. <laughs> Got a few, but in my mind, I was like, you know what? 12, you know, 12 rejections. I was like, so, you know, the first one, the first two didn't bother me a little bit, you know, they stung a little, you know, this just isn't for us. They, they try to be nice, but you know, it's kind of like the whole teacher evaluation, <laughs> you know, you try to be nice, but they know what you're saying. Uh, so, but, so I got that first couple of rejection letters and then, you know, it stung a little but I was like, Hey, you know, we're, we're not to that number yet. So it was probably about four or five until I got, you know, the, the acceptance. But in my mind, though, I had that, you know, that number, I wasn't going to give up. And, you know, so I, you know, it's one of the things I share all the time is, you know, what's, what's that number that you're willing to fail? Or what if you knew you were only 10 failures away from your ultimate success? You know, that really should hopefully change someone's mindset. But that really was, was it, you know, it wasn't like, oh, man, if I get, you know, if they don't, if I get one or two rejections, then I know it's not meant to be. That wasn't my mindset. It was, you know, let's let's get to 12 and then maybe we'll make some adjustments. But, you know, and then maybe at 12, I do rethink it. But, yeah, the first few stung, but I was like, I'm, you know, I had that goal way, you know, much more than that. And so probably about the after the fourth or fifth one was, you know, we I got it. And then, you know, once you kind of get your foot in the door there, if it, you know, has any amount of success, then, you know, it kind of opens the door wide open for you. Sure. So when we, uh, so Dr. Johnson was kind enough to ask me to co-author a book. 
uh, building dynamic teamworks in schools. I personally, from my side, I felt like it went pretty easy and pretty smooth. Um, I don't know if you agree or not, but you're nodding, which is great. Um, what what part of the writing process do you enjoy the most? For me, I just like to get my ideas out and then I'm not really a huge fan of editing, but what, what part do you uh, enjoy the most? Yeah, I, I won't say how bad of a writer I am, <laughs> but I do love to, yeah, me, it's just, it's the ideas, it's getting the information down. Uh, I am terrible at the edit, but I, you know, I tell people all the time, that's why the publisher has editors. That's, that's not my job. Uh, but yeah, just getting the thoughts down and in a way that, you know, I'm trying to express it and hopefully it comes across the way that I'm trying to, to articulate it. But um, yeah, I, I think it went really well. I, I, I think I've done enough at this point that, you know, once I kind of know, you know, have just kind of a framework because I, I have people all the time I, ask me about, you know, in fact, a lot of times um, when I go speak, you know, someone there is wanting to write a book and I'm always happy to, you know, I'll share yeah. what I can because I remember the journey. So, um, but it's like, you know, it's just, um, I don't tell them to write like me because I don't really do it right. You know, a lot of people sit down and make this great outline and, you know, just know how everything, and me, it's kind of like, like you said, I have this idea and I just kind of sit down and just start writing. And, uh, you know, I, I am getting a little better, though, with, with doing kind of an outline or I just call it a framework for it. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, I, I'm sure there's people that are much better technical writers than me, for sure. Uh, but I think, too, just the more you write, the better you get, just like anything else. So hopefully, you know, I'm finally hopefully figuring it out a little bit <laughs> well if you aren't i don't know who is when did you i I'm, I'm assuming i'm making i'm making a jump here either principal boot camp or dear teacher are probably your your most popular books but when did you know or when did you think like wow i'm i got something here you know was it you know what what point in in this journey did you think oh this is this is good i'm making an impact it was actually a, a book before those called Putting Teachers First. And um, I had very little following, um, you know, on social media, like everybody else, just trying trying to grow. But uh, the book just really resonated with people and especially administrators. And so, uh, you know, they would read the book and then invite me to come speak to, you know, uh, uh, like a, a principal group or, you know, conference or whatever. So it really started more with the administrator level for them, just kind of me helping them understand the importance of the teacher, uh, you know, because everybody's focus is always the student. But man, you know, for the administrators, it really is. And I know you do a good job of this is, you know, you got to take care of the teachers. They're going to take care of the students. And so- right. If your focus is on the teachers, then, man, you're just you're going to create a, a much better, uh, you know, environment and culture. And so that's why I just I, I was like, that's got to be the title, putting teachers first, because that really should be the job of the administrator. And I get pushback sometimes. You know, there's a lot of old school people that, you know, well, it's about the kids and all this. And I'm like, but you know, it's not about 
importance. You know, yeah, the child is is the key, but it's about your priority as an administrator. And again, it goes back to, and like I said, you do it really well. It's one of the things that, you know, I saw when I visited your school um, is, man, if you'll take care of those teachers, man, they'll do anything for you and they'll do anything for those students. Right. And that's the whole idea. You know, you, Richard Branson, you take care of your, your employees, they take care of the clients. Uh, I, I often ask myself the question, and I don't know if you you have an answer to it. You said you get pushback, but why, goodness, why why is that so hard? Why do, I, I think personally, you might agree or disagree, it comes down to one word, which is control. But why do admin feel like they have to just control teachers so much rather than, you know, let them flourish and be be amazing and then, you know, work through the problems if they happen? Well, I, I think there's two problems, and, and the big problem isn't really the administrator's fault, but it's just it's, it's our actual leadership programs. They really are based on being a manager, not a leader. And so most of our people that are in administrative or leadership roles aren't really trained to be a leader. And so, you know, one of the things I like to share with principals and administrators, school level or district level too, is that, you know, even in our programs, like our um, leadership programs at the college level, especially not just in education, but even in business, they're really built on uh, what's called a transactional leadership model that the carrot and the stick, you know, reward and punishment. And so the problem with that in schools is, you know, that might work if you are, you know, in a profession with like unskilled workers that, you know, and even then that's not the most effective way, but that's just, you know, when, when we, the industrial revolution and people going into, to uh, factories to work, that was the standard and that's still kind of the standard today. Um, And so administrators aren't really taught to be leaders. And so, you know, that's one of the places it starts. So we don't do a real good job of that in at the university level of preparing them for that. And then I think a big part of it is because they, um, you know, I like to say that um, just because people move into a leadership role doesn't mean they're a leader. So it, is, it, it isn't even about the preparation, it's about their experience as well. And so, you know, when you move into that role, it's kind of almost like the imposter syndrome a little bit. If you don't feel fully competent and confident in what you do, you're more likely to be a person that controls because that's the only way that you feel like that, you know, you you can run the school, basically. I don't want to use the word control again to control the school, but, but that really is often the reality. And you know, it just, it, it sets, um, you know, up an environment where teachers don't really uh, are allowed to flourish and really grow uh, because of that. And I think part of that too, with the principals, with the control thing is because, you know, there is a lot of pressure, especially on school level administrators, you know, you got to get test scores up or you got to do this and they're rotated so much. I mean, the average life expectancy or career expectancy of a principal in a school is only about three years, three to four years. So, you know, in some, some schools, I mean, they rotate principals every year and not just because they want to make changes, but because they need to, to get people out of certain roles. But it's, you know, 
in most situations, it's rare to have a principal that's a, in a school for five, six, eight years. But what you see in those schools usually is a principal that understands how to build relationships. And, you know, they, they really aren't the one to control with the, with the stick, but more with the carrot, so to speak. Um, and that, that just makes a big difference. But I, I think, you know, part of that, especially with the younger or newer administrators, is that pressure on them to perform. And what they don't understand, though, is that, man, all you have to do is take the time to build those relationships and get your staff on your side, and they will do more than you could ever make them do. You know, I mean, it's kind of like with the students and I never understood why administrators can't make this connection, but we're always about build those relationships with the students, build those relationships. with the Well, guess what? <laughs> build those relationships with your staff, you know, your teachers, your, your bus drivers, your custodians, your cafeteria workers, build those relationships, man, they will do anything for you then. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I, you know, it's a it's a constant challenge. I think today. I think it was easier, honestly. Uh, you know, ten years ago, probably. You know, now I don't know that the teacher preparation programs are really great, and so you're kind of up against that a lot. And then there's lots of turnover uh, in Clark County, especially. It's a teacher shortage, and so you you might be looking for teachers that you know can just show up every day in some circumstances. <laughs> And, uh, and, you know, you treat them like gold, but at some point in time, you have to be the boss. And some people, especially the less experienced crowd, might not like that. And, uh, and it's hard. So you try to establish the relationships of knowing them as a person first, so that when you have to say something, they know, you know, that you're just, you're just doing it um, to make the school better. But boy, it's a challenge for sure sometimes. Well, and I call that building trust capital because there is a point where, like you said, I mean, you've got to be assertive. And, um, you know, that's um, uh, it, uh, when you talk about the, the teacher preparation programs, they do a poor job of that, too, um, of really helping teachers understand how to be assertive in the classroom. Uh, and then it's our teachers that are moving into administrative roles. So they really aren't good at being assertive either. So usually you have people that are one extreme. They're either like almost aggressive and that's the people that are controlling or whatever, or you have almost passive where they almost let people run over them. Like you said, they, they want to be people's friends, but they don't know how to, you know, draw that line and, and say, here's what we need to do. And that's where that, that assertiveness comes in of being able to balance that. And, you know, when I talk about trust capital, that's, you know, build that relationship with them where they know that you're sincere and really want the best for them. Um, but then with that assertiveness, they understand, too, that, hey, sometimes team comes first. Sometimes, you know, our, our shared purpose comes before me. And, you know, that's a balance that I think um, effective leaders do learn to to um, to do. Uh, but but it's it's not easy and we don't do a very good job of, of prepping them to do that because you're right. I mean, you want to build the relationships, but that's just the means to an end. You do that so that then you can get the best out of them. And, you know, and, and the other thing, like you said, is tough that I, I heard someone and I don't remember what school it was, but they talked about there's a university in Texas, not the University of Texas, but a university there that has like 40,000 students. 30 or 40,000 students, they only have 40 in their teacher ed program. 
I mean, it's I just, you, you know, and so like you said, who do you, who do you hire? You know, I mean, you're just trying to get warm bodies in the classroom. And so they're not prepared. And so it's just, it's a struggle. Yeah. I think I, we're finding it too, where that's starting to become a problem with admin also, like you were saying, where, you know, so many of admin are, are, we're tired. You know, it's, it's a challenge. And, um, you know, if we can, if we can retire, not, not that I'm too close, but a lot of us aren't going to be around in five years to run schools. And we're going to have to take people who may or may not be prepared or be leaders and put them in leadership roles. And I don't know how that's going to turn out. Do you, do you think, okay. No, go ahead. Do you think that leadership can be taught though? Can, can you, or is leader being a leader, a natural ability in some cases, or can you teach people to be leaders? Yeah. People ask me that. Yeah. Is, is leadership something you're born with or taught? And I'm like, yes. <laughs> <laughs> it is both. It's, it's kind of like the assertiveness thing. Assertiveness is a skill set that you develop. It's, some people are kind of naturally more born with it than others. Yes. But it's, it's a skill set you develop. And so a lot of leadership, you know, one of the things I actually taught, you know, I was uh, a teacher and then administrator, and then I moved to the college level and taught leadership, educational leadership, graduate level for people that were wanting to become administrators. And so one of the things that I would do is uh, have them take something called a strength finders test. And what it does is it gives you like your top five leadership strengths that based on that assessment that you may have. And so everybody has certain strengths, but we all have different strengths. And so the key is to kind of understand what your strengths are and focus on those and develop those, but to understand where there's areas that aren't your strengths. And that's where you try to get the right people in the right places so that there's not the weakness for the team. You know, Lee Iacocca once said, I, I hire people smarter than me, and then I get out of their way and let them do their job. And, you know, that's just, that's so important. But, you know, I, I, I can think of, um, you know, when I think back over my teaching career, I taught for um, 10 years before I moved into administration. And just like most teachers, you know, I had some good administrators and I had some really poor administrators. And um, what I found is you learn from both of them, actually, <laughs> what to do and what not to do. But I think when you have a strong leader, man, they're just they're a great mentor and a great role model. And you can learn a lot from them. You know, one of the things I share in my book, Principal Boot Camp, is I remember my high school principal. And I remember how he was. And it was a different time because that was a few years ago <laughs> uh, for me to be in high school. But, you know, he he knew everybody's name. He knew all the teachers. He, you know, he would just go in the classrooms and sit and visit, what he would call it. And, you know, that was before cell phones and everything. So, you know, he wasn't always preoccupied. But, you know, he would just he would talk to him in the hallways and just but I just remember seeing him do that in the importance of building relationships, even as a high school student, which, you know, we don't think they pay attention to much. But I picked up on that from him even way back then. And, uh, you know, I talk about that in that book that, you know, that was something I remember, you know, from what 35 years ago or whatever. And, um, 
you know, it was just, um, you know, very impactful that we, you know, we have our own strengths that we need to develop and, uh, but good mentoring can help us be even stronger, you know, um, regardless, everybody can be better. Yeah, absolutely. You kind of went over something that's kind of in our book where, um, I don't know if it was you or I, but, uh, we talk about how we have to know, I think as leaders have to know what everybody's strengths are, because at times we don't need to be the leader. We should let others take on that role. I don't know. Again, I, I don't know what chapter that's in per se. It might be, um, you know, diversity and using people to their strengths, but, I found that a lot of admin maybe can't let go of the leadership position and let others take that role on. And I don't understand why they wouldn't do that if the other person is better suited to lead that situation. Uh, Oh, you're exactly right. And that kind of goes back to um, the control thing because they feel like they're responsible for everything. So they have to be in charge of everything. It's like I always joke with, um, uh, you know, if, if I'm speaking like to educate or to administrators or at a conference or, you know, at a district level or whatever, I'm like, you know, it makes no sense to delegate and then micromanage them. <laughs> just, just do it yourself, you know? I mean, that makes no sense. But you're absolutely right. And I can't remember which chapter it is either. I was trying to look through. I can't remember which one, but um, I think it was leveraging individual strengths or something. It might be the... Yeah. I don't remember, but it really is, um, you know, the, one of the things I learned real quick as an administrator is I have a lot of teachers that know a lot more than me. <laughs> yes. And, and like you said, and, and some of them, I know they have strengths in areas that, man, that, you know, blow me away in that area. And so why would you not utilize that? You know, I mean, it makes to me, that's poor leadership to not do that. I think that's one of the keys of effective leadership is being able, like you said, to identify the strengths of someone, but then utilize them. Don't just identify them, but, you know, take advantage of that and get the most out of that. Uh, But again, yeah, I think it comes back to control and they feel like they're ultimately responsible for everything. But even if they delegate, like I said, some, you know, want to micromanage everything that someone does. Um, I remember one of my first principles um, she had the assistant principal write a newsletter and she would just like give her the range, you know, just, just write it, whatever, and then send it to me. Well, when she sent it to her, she would print it out and she would send it back to her and it would look like a bloodbath because <laughs> they would be marked and everything changed. And she's like, you know, she wouldn't say it to her, obviously, but like, you know, when, when your sister principal has to come to the teachers and complain, it's, it's not a good culture. But she was like, you know, why does she even bother asking me to do this if she's going to change everything to exactly like she wants? You know, she's wasting my time. And then, you know, she's spending the time to do it anyway. Why doesn't she just do it? And I'm like, why? Teachers, teachers get that way, too, sometimes, you know, frustrated with, with that type of thing. One of my favorite quotes that you put out there is that you can walk into five different classrooms and see five different teachers doing five different things. And it comes it comes back to that control thing because I don't understand why why administrators expect every classroom to be exactly the same. We should be using teachers to their strengths and letting them do what they do well with the kids that they have. I've just never understood the idea that 
uh, every first grade has to be exactly the same when the kids are certainly not the same. So it kind of comes back to what we're talking about. Is it control or is it just a lack of knowledge as a leader of a building that makes them think that everything has to work the same? Probably both. Yeah, probably probably a little bit of both. Because um, I remember that. I remember that as a teacher. I remember um, assistant principal coming in for an observation. And really the only thing he could say to me is he complained because I didn't have enough stuff on my walls. And I'm like, I don't teach on my walls. <laughs> <laughs> And, uh, but it was like, you know, cause I, I taught science. I mean, we were, I mean, my students never even sit in desks. We had desks, but they were on the floor. They were, you know, we were outside most of the time. I mean, it was, I, I had a very, um, uh, to look in the room, you would think it was chaotic, but you know, man, I, I, I think they learned better than any science teacher they had not to brag, but you know, it was, it is, it's, you know, I knew my strengths and how to utilize them with the classroom. And it wasn't sitting in desk and, you know, teaching that way. So, yeah. I, I go with the, uh, the premise, you know, I don't really care how you teach the standards as long as you don't get me in trouble or get me on the news. If the kids are learning because they're standing on their chair or doing whatever, I mean, as long as everybody's okay, why, you know, why do we micromanage that? I just, I struggle greatly with that. And I think that, um, you know, sadly, I think that's where a lot of districts are, are going is trying to make them more um, controlled in the environment. Um, well, and so, they, many things, so many things, you know, and, and to me, this is just nuts, but, you know, a lot of times, um, you know, they'll walk by and if they see kids just sitting quietly at a desk, they think that's a well-controlled, well-run classroom. And I'm like, yeah, there's probably very little learning going on there, you know, <laughs> and they yeah, probably really enjoy learning at that point. I can't remember who it was. I was at a conference once um, uh, learning forward and he basically had a cemetery, a picture of a cemetery, I think from Gaysburg. And then he started drawing it and turning it into like desks and rows and things of that nature. I'm like, oh, that's a perfect analogy. Exactly. Yeah. So our book is um, it's uh, building dynamic teamwork. The tw- the twelve principles, um, twelve V principles, and basically when you speak, you talk about you discuss the geese, geese and, and the animal, um, the actual you know for those of you that don't know the the geese that fly in the air and honk. How I I actually had heard about the geese before you presented and how they take care of each other and have all these principles. Uh, how did you, did you like look up at the sky one day and think, ah, we should write a book about that? Or, you know, where, where'd that idea come from? Yeah, it's interesting. Well, I was actually a life science teacher. Uh, and, and I tell the story because one of the big influence, because we all usually have teachers that influenced us. Uh, and mine was actually my life science teacher when I was in seventh grade. Um, so I actually became a life science teacher. So, but Probably, I mean, she influenced me, but, you know, being from the South, if people can't tell from my accent, uh, um, you know, just being outdoors, living outdoors, um, you know, just loving nature. And of course, then being the science teacher too, like I said, most of my classes were outside. So I just, I love animals. I love, you know, everything about wildlife and about the outdoors. And yeah, just the geese flying over every winter just was always the neatest thing. And the, long, the bigger the groups, the longer the V formations was just, you know, kind of all to me. 
and you know the honking and hearing them come from you know it was just so you could hear them like if it was a large enough group you could you know maybe a minute or two before you could even see them and and you know even indoors you could hear it and i would run out like an anticipation and just waiting to watch them go over it's just so cool to me and you know so just you know you kind of just look at things and study and like you know what's kind of how did it you know you just start again studying a little bit the you know, why they fly that way and, you know, why are they in the groups and, you know, what's the honking going on and, you know, all that stuff. And, you know, the more I like studied it, I'm like, man, you know, that's that's powerful team analogy, um, you know, just everything that they exhibit. And, you know, um, I saw the, um, you know, I just that was, um, you know, I'm like, man, there's just there's so many correlations like with effective teamwork and, you um, you know, and then, you know, you joke about why I chose you or whatever. But, you know, when I spoke at your school, it was like just so dynamic. The team there, like, man, you have a really great group and they're just, man, they support it. Just, you know, I got to spend the day with you all. But it was like, it was just really neat to see how they were so supportive and encouraged each other. And just, you know, it was like, you know, that just fits right with the theme of, of you know, what, kind of the vision I had for that book. So, you know, worked out well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it worked out quite well. Um, and, you know, you you do a great job. The first few chapters really are about how the synergy of geese correlates to a synergy of a school and um, how principals can kind of use those as a reference to lead and build more dynamic teams. This really was fascinating as I started thinking about it as well when we were writing it, that all of those principles do just really align with with having a dynamic school. And, and any team really, but yeah, I mean, it really does fit with the school concept and, you know, just, just everything about it from how they communicate, how they encourage each other, uh, just the um, everyone in their role, in their position, you know, maximizes the efficiency or like you said, the synergy. And I love that word synergy. And that's why we use it throughout the book is that, you know, it really does like create this dynamic team culture that, you know, it isn't done with just a group. And that's why, you know, we make that distinction in the book too, that it's not just a group of people working together, which is often the case if you don't have a, a strong culture. But man, when you create a team with it, that's when everybody's utilizing their strengths and their talents and it makes the whole team, you know, the, the sum of the whole, uh, the, the, uh, is greater than the parts when you, um, have everybody in the right position, you know, utilizing their strengths and giving their best. And, you know, the other thing with it too, and I always joke, you know, about the honking, but, you know, the the most important aspect of their communication is is encouraging each other you know they're up there and they're flying and they're working hard and they're you know they're they're doing their best but um you know that encouragement from the one right behind them or the one they hear right in front of them man that that is that's huge and you know as humans we like that too you know i'm like even as adults you know we like praise we like appreciation we those things build us up and they don't cost any money to do, you know, and it's just, it, it's so key. 
And it's not just the administrator's job to do that, but it's every person on the team, you know, encouraging each other, you know, and I always like to leave that with, you know, I should hear teachers honking in the hallways, <laughs> sticking their head in their uh, teammates' room and honking in the morning, just encouraging <laughs> each other is just so important because we don't do that. Teaching is such an isolating endeavor sometimes, and they just feel like they're all alone in their little island in their room. And the more we can do to, you know, have that team concept, even, uh, you know, one of the things we talk about in the, the book is the, is the key to or the importance of small teams. You know, it doesn't always have to be the big group together, the big staff meeting together. It's, you know, just those small units and teams building that synergy together, too, that, you know, can just really make a difference in you know, motivation, encouragement, appreciation, just ever, just the whole morale of, of the school, really. Yeah, I found like if I can, if I can get one grade level just to have synergy, you know, then that grade level, I don't have to worry about near as much. And you're trying to just find, find little pockets of synergy or, you know, a word. And uh, if you, you know, if you can get four out of six in a grade level that are working, then, then that's great. And then try to incorporate the other, the other two. Uh, per se, but it kind of goes back to you know, the, your your other book right now, assertive teacher, where some people might be a little too assertive or honk a little loudly, and uh, you know, and, and, and you know, kind of with the, the with the podcast, it's all about perspective. And are they honking too loudly at me? And why are they honking? And <laughs> the challenge the challenge of leadership is to get people to understand. Well, we're we're honking in an encouraging manner uh, and in a friendly manner, and some people just can't take it that way. <laughs> right. Right. What? Um, so what other, you know, looking forward for you, you know, you've got 15 books. I know you got two more kind of waiting in the wings, uh, going back to geese, waiting in the wings again. What, uh, you know, what areas do you hope to help you? Know, what your next two projects? I don't know if you can talk to them about, about or not, but um, you know, what, where do you see you're going with your, your, your future in terms of helping, helping admin, helping teachers? Yeah, I think the, the next focus will be um, administrators specifically. Um, yeah, I'm finishing one. It's called Finding Your Leadership Edge. And it's really about helping administrators be more assertive. And again, when we say assertive, a lot of times in education, we see that as a bad word. We think aggre- we, we equate that with aggressiveness, and it's not at all. It's, it's actually a balance between being passive and being ag- aggressive. So it's, and like I said, it's a skill set that we have to work on and we have to be mindful of. Uh, but when we get to that point, that's what's going to make an effective teacher. But for the leader, that's what's going to make an effective leader. Because like you said, there's two things happen. They'll know the importance of building those relationships with their staff and being a servant type leader for them. But it also helps them set boundaries, learn to say no when we talk about assertiveness where did they have the teachers focused and saying, hey, sometimes it's not about you, it's about the team. So knowing when they have to be like a little bit tougher. Um, and that goes back to kind of, like I said, that trust capital that they have to build with them. Uh, and then the big thing, hopefully, that I'm undertaking is kind of reshaping leadership for education. It's something I call interrelational leadership. And it's kind of a mix between like, transformational and servant leadership. Um, I think we have too much hierarchy in education, and I know I'll get pushed back from that. But, you know, when you think about it, 
Um, you know, like I said, most teachers in the classroom are, and again, that may be changing because of the shortage, but at least looking from past perspective, and maybe that's why there's a shortage because we need this kind of transition. But, you know, the average teacher is highly educated. They have at least a bachelor's degree. Over 50% have a master's degree. They have experience. I mean, they're a professional. And so we need to engage them that way, not treat them. You know, a lot of times, and one of the big things I hear from teachers all the time is my administrator treats me like a student. And I think sometimes moving from teacher to administrator, they we forget to change that mindset. You know, because we always taught students, so we treat students like students. But then when you move into that new role, you have to change how that you interact and, and treat your professionals. Um, and so I think that's important to do. So I think, you know, one of the I always go back to Finland, not that they're perfect or anything, but they do a lot of things right. And it really has nothing to do with the size of their uh, country or culture or anything like that. But um Man, they they give their teachers a lot of of uh, leeway. Um, you know, we're very from the top down, and I don't mean from the district, but just policy wise from from Washington down. You know, uh, we let po- politics and politicians drive our education, which is horrible. Over there, they don't do that. They they it they call it local control, but. The teachers, the local schools have more control than the government does. And that's a lot of power to give teachers, but it's something they should have. They know the students in their school better than anyone else. They should be the ones really driving the decisions. And it would be nice if we could get back, more back to that than, than what we do here. Um, you know, because again, like I said, you know, if you walk in the classroom, who's going to know that group of students better than that teacher? You know, nobody. Yeah. And, you know. Uh, how one teaches might be a little bit different than the other, but you know they know how to reach those students. And I've, know- yeah, yeah, I've moved away from um, from you know controlling so much. Obviously, that's who I am. Where you know now I don't even do the class list for the following year. The teachers know the kids; they know what you know what they need going forward, and they know their colleagues fairly well. I'll, I'll contribute. But it is an interpersonal, interrelational job when you're working with teachers as well. I know which teachers want me just to shoot it straight, and I know which ones are Enneagram twos, and that they're going to cry a little bit, or or I'm going to hurt their feelings, or they're going to perseverate. And that comes back to relationships, which all in the end, I think it always comes back to relationships over everything. Oh, absolutely, and I mean that's my, you know, if. If, if people follow any of my social media, you know, that to me, that's foundational for everything. I mean, education is relationship. Leadership is relationship. I mean, you know, uh, that student, that student in your classroom is always going to do more for you if they feel like that you care about them, you respect them and that you want the best for them. It doesn't matter what, how old they are. And it doesn't matter what the subject is. That's, that is that's that's where it begins and same thing with you know with adults you know that teacher that knows that that administrator you know really cares about them respects them as a professional and wants them to be their best they're more than likely it's called the pygmalion effect they're more than likely going to give them their best and you know you around the ones that don't like you were saying you know you you adjust to the needs and sometimes you might have to have those 
tough conversations, but for 90% or 95%, it, it works flawlessly and frees you up to be able to focus on those few areas that you need to, instead of just trying to control everything and just burning yourself out as an administrator. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you you are more than willing to speak at schools, conferences. You uh, you fly all over the country. Where are you flying to next? Who are you who are you meeting with next? What do you what do you got on the radar? <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm done till the first of the year, but I jump right on the plane January the first. So I'm heading to Missouri, um, man, Washington D.C. Uh, we're in Chicago in February, I think. We're yeah. we're both up there. Um, yep. to Vegas, of course. I've got two in Vegas, so always love coming to Vegas. That's one of my favorite. You, you know, you, you love everywhere you go, and I love the educators everywhere, but sometimes when you get to go to a fun city, that, you know, kind of makes you just pinch yourself that, man, I, I get this is my job. <laughs> yeah. well, I mean, for, and for people that maybe don't follow you, you, know, you love Cirque shows. Oh, my goodness, yeah. Oh, that – since since I was a teenager, that's when they in the eight, late eighties. Most people didn't even know they were around then. But um, man, I saw I saw um, I think they were on PBS actually, and it just it's just amazing the the talent that they have. And so yeah, I do every time I'm out there, I watch uh, one of the shows, and some of them I've seen a couple of times. I'll watch O again when I'm out there. Yeah. Just um, yeah. Absolutely. Well, tell, tell everybody there's a lot of admin that listen to this or a lot of teachers. Maybe they want to talk to their admin. Give uh, give your information out, how they can get a hold of you so that you can come speak at their school. Yeah. So um, every, whether it's Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, it's just Dr. Brad Johnson. Uh, the website is Dr. spelled out instead of DR, but Dr. Brad Johnson. Um, if you just type Dr. Brad Johnson in Google or whatever, it's probably going to pop me up there. So, awesome. um, yeah. Well, I, I, you know, I've, I think I've told you this before, but you know, so much of the way I kind of lead schools is based upon kind of the same beliefs you have. And I remember the first time I actually liked one of your tweets was in 2019. I've screenshot it for some reason. And uh, so I have that. Uh, but, you know, not only thank you for allowing me to come along the journey of writing the book, but just let me thank you for all the help you give principals and teachers and all the, the positive changes you've made in education, because we sure need a beacon of hope right now. So thank you to you for for being one of those beacons. Oh, I appreciate it. Yeah, I mean, I love it. Like I said, I have the best job in the world because I get to go inspire teachers and administrators. So, you know, I never thought that's something that you know, I wouldn't have even dreamed of it, you know, as a growing up or even in college. But, uh, you know, I've been very fortunate. But, yeah, it's um, I love it. It's hard work. Man, I appreciate everything that teachers do, administrators, the whole staff, not just not right. just them, but right. every adult that, that's in education. I just man, they give so much of themselves for our children uh, get so little really respect for it and appreciation for it from, from society in general. It's, it's, it's a tough job, whether it's a teacher, staff member, or administrator. And, um, you know, so I always want them to know that if nobody else is, appreciates them, <laughs> they know that I appreciate them and everything that they do. 
Absolutely. Well, thank you very much for being here and I appreciate it. And hopefully people reach out, make sure you reach out and have uh, Dr. Brad Johnson come to your school. And uh, I will see you in Chicago if I don't see you when you come to Vegas. That sounds good, man. All right. Thank you very much. All right.